0: My name is Matt Young, and I'm the worship pastor here, and so some weeks you might see me on the platform worshiping with you all, other weeks I'm in the back worshiping with you all, Um, but this morning I have the privilege to open the Word with you, and I'm excited to do that. We're actually going to be jumping into a new series for the next two weeks on corporate worship, and I'm really excited to have the opportunity to just kick off this series. I know next week we're going to continue in it, and Pastor Tim is going to be presenting the second part of this series. But this morning, we're going to kick it off on corporate worship. And I do want to clarify before we dive in, one of the realities of corporate worship is that our corporate worship is made up of each of us individually, right? So if we want to have a corporate worship that brings honor and glory to Jesus Christ— then our individual lives need to be reflective of that as well. Individually, we need to be worshiping the Lord so that when we come together as a group, our worship is pleasing to Him. If you think about it, uh, there's an analogy in the Scriptures that's used often about the body, right? How the body of Christ is like the human body. We each have multiple parts. Every part of the body has its purpose. And when you think about the body of Christ being made up of individual members, which are each one of us, If any one of us has our our worship um, not in a place that is honoring to the Lord, it's going to impact the corporate worship experience as well. It's going to impact how we as a body present our worship to our Lord. And so as we jump in this morning, there are a few things that um, I wanted to talk through. First of all, why would we do a sermon series on corporate worship? What's the point in doing this? And I think one of the big things that we want to consider is shifting our perspective on some things. There are some things that we may have misunderstandings of. I know that I certainly have um, had multiple misunderstandings of things, and, and I'm, I'm in, in the role of the worship pastor here. So if I've had some misunderstandings of things, I'm sure that others have as well. None of us are beyond having misunderstandings. So let's look here at some things, some areas where we should be considering shifting our perspective. First thing that I want to mention is worship does not equal music, and I'm saying that as someone who has mistakenly made that that claim. Where I'll be like, "Man, worship was so compelling this morning. It really, it really did a number in my heart." And oh, the worship team did this and that. And we often use worship in place of music, but the reality is that um, singing to and about God and singing songs of His glory is an aspect of worship. It is a part of worship, but it's not worship in its totality. In fact, the worship service in and of itself is not worship in completion. When we look at the scriptures, we see that we're to live our lives in, in giving ourselves as our reasonable act of worship. That's what we see in Romans. That's what we're called to do. So our entire lives should be worshipful unto the Lord. And so it's not simply about the music. And I want to just clarify that right up front, that worship does not equal music, even though we often use those terms interchangeably. Another thing where we need to consider shifting our perspective is that feelings do not necessarily equal fruitfulness. And what I mean by that is that truth trumps emotional experiences when they're at odds with one another. There are a lot of circles out there where where people will say things, um, in, in fact, there are people that I know right now going through seasons where they're like, I've been praying about this and the Spirit is leading me to say that this is the right move for me in my life. I'm called to divorce my husband or my wife. Well, that's not in line with the word of God. So you might feel in your heart a peace, but if you're feeling a peace in that, you may be led by a spirit, but I can promise you you're not being led by the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit will never, ever contradict the truth that is contained in God's word. And so if we're being led in anything that isn't in line with the truth of God's word, then we need to make sure that we're, we're getting our perspective shifted in the right way. We need to consider that. And one of the realities is that um, emotions are not bad. So I don't want you to hear me saying, man, being emotional in in worship is a bad thing. Being emotional in our lives. I'm not saying that at all. The Lord has created us as emotional beings, and emotion is a huge part of who we are. But it always has to be viewed in light of the revealed Word of God, the revealed truth. That is our litmus test. So anything else that is short of that, that doesn't align with that, is not going to be a worshipful experience that honors the Lord. Even going further with this, there have been situations where I've, I've heard people say stuff and they mean it in a very compelling way. And I've said these things myself at times. The idea of, man, the Holy Spirit was just so powerfully at work today. I just sensed it so palpably in the room. I think everyone would have experienced that same thing. And the reality is that's true. But is he any more at work or any more powerful when we feel his presence then in the other moments when the body of believers are gathered together proclaiming the greatness of Jesus, He's no more powerfully at work in those moments when we have all the feelings than He is when we don't have necessarily the feelings, but we're still gathered together as the body of Christ lifting up the name of Jesus. And that's an important distinction to make because we can often find ourselves, you know, I'm not feeling anything when I read the Word, and so since I don't have this emotional tug on my heart to read the Word, what's the point? I'm not feeling like I'm gaining any insight into who God is. So, you know, I'm not drawn to that right now. But is it possible that what's going to produce more faithfulness is the regular discipline of leaning into Christ, leaning into the Word of God, more so than a single moment of all the feelings that we might want to have? Then again, hear me, feelings are not bad. They're not negative, but they have to be kept in check. We have to make sure that our feelings aren't leading us into falsehood and aren't leading us into anything that contradicts the word of God. And one more place where I think we need to consider shifting our perspective is acknowledging basically the Western culture's influence on each of us. This is something that um, it's far-reaching, and there are subtle things that we can do, that are clearly influenced by the culture around us. There are so many things in that regard. One of those is individualism over unity. That's a huge value for our culture. You need to be you. Live your truth. These kind of statements are said all the time. But the call of the gospel is not simply to live your truth. It's to die to yourself daily. You know, Paul says, I have become all things to all men so that I might win as many possible as many possible. That's not about Paul elevating his individualism. That's about him being willing to make sacrifices to his preferences, to his priorities, to make much of Jesus, to make much of the gospel and to impact the lives of other people. I think that's an important thing for us to understand that our culture values individualism, but we are called as the body of Christ to be united and to not make, our, make much of ourselves, to not think of ourselves more highly than we ought, but in humility to consider others better than ourselves. That's a tall order. That's a hard order. But it's the call of the gospel on our lives. So we have to be willing to do that. The next thing that we see from our culture's influence is our busyness with other priorities. Um, there are, I mean, our lives go 100 miles an hour, it feels like. And, and oftentimes we have other things. Sometimes they're good things or at least neutral things. And we allow the busyness to say, man, I'm just spent. I just don't have the energy to go and, and meet with brothers and sisters this Sunday. I'm going to just relax this weekend. I I just can't imagine giving giving more of myself at this time. I'm just exhausted. And sometimes maybe the Lord's calling us to consider reprioritizing things in our lives. If we're not willing to make corporate worship, gathering with one another, serving one another a priority in our lives, then maybe there are some other things that we should consider letting go of and reprioritizing things. But in our culture, it's like busyness is, is... It's just the norm. It's what all of us endure. And so other things, important things, the more important things, in this case, the most important thing gets pushed to the side. And we neglect meeting together for that purpose. And then finally, the last part of the Western society that's impacting us, and I think this is probably, I don't know if it's the most important, but it's hugely impactful, is consumerism. What am I going to get out of this experience? And so we go to a church service and we often think, man, I just, I didn't feel like, you know, that musician didn't play that part right, or that preacher, man, he didn't know what he was talking about. You know, there are situations like that. Now, I mean, if there's preaching heresy, that's a different story, okay? But, um, but a lot of times we go into it, what am I going to get out of this? Man, I didn't get fed the way I wanted to. That can't be the place for me. What's interesting about the way the body of Christ works, though, is when we give ourselves away, that's when we begin to get the benefits of being a part of a body of Christ, So if we go into it with this mentality, man, I'm not getting out of this church what I want to get out of it. Well, what have you put into it? What is the Lord calling you to do to step out more fully in serving your brothers and sisters? Because that's the call that each of us have to be persistent in serving one another. And not only does consumerism talk about getting this or that out of the experience, but we also are consumers in all of the content that's available to us. We live in an incredible day and age where you have podcasts, you have articles online, you have um, online preachers that uh, can, can speak right to the core and can be incredibly gifted. We have these musicians that have highly produced records that sound incredible. And so what we can do, and I've, I've known many people that have done this. In fact, I had a conversation with someone just yesterday, and they said to me, I know we haven't been at church lately, but... Um, but I'm getting filled up, I'm listening to sermons online, I'm doing this, I'm doing that, I'm getting my worship music going, I'm, I'm, just know, I'm taken care of, I'm good, and I said, well that's great, it's great that you're being fed in those ways, but what are you doing to serve the body of Christ? I said, we miss serving with you, we miss having you, there's a void when you're not serving here, because you're a part of the body of Christ." so I was trying to encourage that person in that conversation, but this is something that we do. We say, I'm getting fed here. I have no need for the body of Christ. I have no need for corporate gatherings because I'm getting all that I need from these online formats or from this you know, this radio ministry, whatever it may be. That's not the same thing. We're missing out on the beauty of being a part of the body of Christ. We're missing out on the, one of the largest parts of our calling as believers, which is to serve one another faithfully. That's a part of our worship To the Lord. And that makes a huge difference in how we, when we gather corporately, if we're faithfully serving one another, it's going to have a huge impact on those things. But in the history of the worship of our Lord, history of worship of Yahweh, there have always been certain things that are required of us in order for our worship to be acceptable by the Lord. And that's one of the things that we're going to talk about this morning, the requirements of that. But before I dive into those requirements, I just want to share a brief story. When I was in high school, um, I grew up going to public school, and uh, I was very outspoken about my faith, even from a young age. I would engage in conversations and debates in the classroom. And um, when I got to high school, I stopped playing all my sports because I kind of lost those youthful, you know, ignorant, youthful dreams, idealism, where I thought I'd be a professional athlete. And I said, okay. I'm getting into high school. i got to get my life in order. I need to focus on something that's going to be more practical. I'm not going to be a professional athlete. So I I stopped playing sports, and I focused on honing my craft for the career that I knew God was calling me into. Decided to be an actor. Much more practical. (laughs) So... I decided no more sports. I'm going to focus on acting. I'm going to focus on building my acting chops. I'm going to act as much as I can, get involved in every production I can. I'll even join choir so I can work on my singing voice, because I know musical theater is a part of that whole thing. I did all this stuff, and what's interesting is the culture was, was quite different from all the, the athletes that I was hanging out with before. Now I shifted into the more of an artsy type of area, and it was, it was incredible the difference in perspective. That was had there, but there were a lot of people that were open dialogues. And there was one particular person that I want to want to talk about right now. Um, I would provide rides to this this friend, and, and she was in the in the theater program. We did a lot of productions together, and, and I gave her rides home often. And we would have a lot of larger discussions um, as groups. But when you're one-on-one with someone in a private setting, sometimes the Lord just opens doors for conversation. And um, and this friend, she she opened up to me about. Some things. She, had, she had gone to youth group for probably two years. And I knew that she had done that, but I, I knew that she wasn't doing it anymore. So I just, I just asked her straight up. I said, hey, I noticed you're not, you're not going to youth group anymore. You know, what, what happened there? And she started to open up and she said, you know, for years I was, I was reading the Bible. And I was praying. I was singing the songs with everything I had. I was going to the Lord. And I was just pleading with him in prayer. And, and then I, I just couldn't do it anymore. I couldn't do it anymore. And I said, what do you mean you, you couldn't do it anymore? What happened? She goes, well, I just I have, I have an internal, I have these desires in my heart that, that I know are supposedly sinful. And I kept asking, Lord, take these desires away from my heart. And those desires never left me. And so I realized there's only a few options. Either there is no God, or there is a God, but he doesn't care about what I'm doing doesn't care about me at all, or there's a God, but what I'm doing is actually not wrong. And so she said, no matter what that might be, whatever the reality is, I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing because clearly if I'm supposed to not be doing it, God's going to allow me to not do that anymore. And it was a really interesting thing to hear her say that. And, um, you know, in that context, we continued to dialogue and and, um, went from there. But what I found interesting is Here's a broken sinner who seems to be worshiping the Lord, seems to be engaging in all of the things that we would engage in on a regular basis as believers. And yet, in the moment when, when things didn't go the way that she thought they should go or when, when she didn't have immediate victory over the sin struggles in her heart, she threw in the towel. So what was it about her worship? Why is it that God, um, what is it that causes God to accept the worship from some of us broken sinners but not others because all of us are broken sinners her sins were no worse than my sins so why is it that the worship of some of us is accepted before the Lord and others it's not and I think that's what we need to look at together this morning the requirements that God has for our worship so the first requirement that we need to look at together is propitiation now I know that's That's a a theological term, but I wanted to define it for you. Propitiation is an acceptable sacrifice offered for our sins before a holy God. And it has to be in that terminology because it has to be acceptable to him. It has to be acceptable before our Lord. And because we are sinners, we have to have an atonement. There had to be an atoning sacrifice. And worship always requires an offering to be brought before the Lord. And this is an interesting thing. When you think all the way back to Genesis 3, at the fall, when the fall took place, what did God do to cover the shame of Adam and Eve? He sacrificed animals. He made garments for them to cover their shame, to cover their nakedness. He sacrificed animals at that point. And we see in the book of Hebrews, it says that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. It's 922. Hebrews 9.22, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. And so in the economy of God, our, our sinfulness needed blood in order to be forgiven, in order for us to be made right before a holy God. So we want to look at things. This morning, again, we're looking primarily at how Jesus transforms our worship when it comes to these requirements that God has. So let's look then at Hebrews Hebrews 10 starting in verse one, for since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered year every year, make perfect those who draw near. And now this is the old covenant perspective, okay? We're going to be looking at each of these in the old covenant and then in the new covenant that was established by Jesus. So just to give you a a little bit of insight as to where we're going with these, these topics and these ideas. So let's look at these words then. The law has but a shadow instead of the true form. So when the law was established, these sacrifices were made of, of blood. Uh, uh, the blood sacrifices made of these animals were made on behalf of the sinning people. They were made for the sinners. But they were never, uh, they were never in a position where they could actually bring about full coverage of those sins. They were never intended to. The law was a shadow of the good things to come, but not the true form. The original sacrificial system was never the point in and of itself. Rather, it was designed to point to the future sacrifice that we would all need. And if that's not clear enough right there, he goes on in verse 4 to say, "...for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins." So we know then that the sacrifices that were made in the Old Testament, they were not sufficient to take away the sins of the people. They were sufficient as placeholders for the ultimate sacrifice that was to come. And that's where we shift gears then into the new covenant. And just note the differences here when it comes to propitiation, the blood that we need to provide forgiveness for our sins. In Hebrews 10, verses 12 and 14, but when Christ The sacrifices of old, which were offered every year, year after year, people needed to continue to make these sacrifices, needed to continue to say, I'm guilty of my sin, here's another sacrifice, here's another sacrifice, but because that blood was insufficient to cover their sins, they had to continue to do it as a reminder of their need for the redemption through the blood that was to come, the future sacrifice, and now we see that sacrifice is through Jesus. And now it doesn't only say... um, It doesn't only say that he made the sacrifice one time, but it's for all time for sins. One time for all time. It covers all of our sins. And then I love this. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. I don't know about you, but that is such an encouragement to me. I would love for my sanctification to be completely fully over. I'd love to be realized and perfected in Christ. And here's the reality. When we stand before a holy God, our position is one of complete perfection, of righteousness, because Jesus took on our sin and our shame and our guilt and covers us with his righteousness, with his perfection. And so this is saying that he is perfected, he has perfected, all time those who are being sanctified. So we're actively being sanctified in our lives, but we have a position before God that is perfect because of Christ. That's a huge comfort to me. I hope it's a comfort to you guys as well. It's an unbelievable reality that we are complete in Christ as we stand now, even though we're still being made more like him. We're complete as far as God looks at us and sees the righteousness of Jesus, but we're still being sanctified. And so whenever you get discouraged about, man, I'm not as holy as I want to be, I still have these sinful desires that keep creeping up, and I find these things at war with us, much like Paul in Romans 7. If you find these two laws at work within you, come to the word and let the truth penetrate your heart and bring encouragement and give you perspective that reminds you, no, Christ finished this on the cross. It is finished. It was perfected. It was completed on the cross. When he shed his blood for us. So we are being made more like Christ as we are growing in our sanctification. But positionally before a holy God, we stand blameless. It's an unbelievable gift that we have received because of Jesus. There's no need for additional sacrifices. And with one offering, it's perfected for all time, all of us. What a blessing it is for us to live under the new covenant. We don't have to make these sacrifices year in and year out. We get to worship Jesus, we get to proclaim his greatness. Because of the one time sacrifice that he made, which transforms us forever. I was trying to think of what this would be similar to. And um, I thought about a movie, Zoolander, um, where he has, uh, they're going to build this building for this character. And uh, so what they do is they build an architectural model for it. And he freaks out because he looks at this architectural model, which is, you know, exactly what the building will look like to scale, but really small. And he freaks out because he says kids can't even fit inside that building. He freaks out about it. Well, here's the reality. Just as an architectural model only serves a purpose as a reference for the future building to be built, the building that's supposed to follow that, that's the same way that the old covenant only serves a purpose as it is in reference to Christ. The old covenant, the sacrificial system that was made, it's only good for pointing us to Jesus. That was its purpose from the beginning. And so we need to keep that in mind, that that is the reality of this. That's how it functions. It was never able to remove our sins. It was by design to draw us to our need for the truest toning sacrifice of Jesus. The offering of Jesus once for all time is the only acceptable offering to bring before our holy God in worship. So that's the propitiation aspect. That's the covering of blood that we needed. What's another requirement that the Lord has? Well, I'd say the next requirement is mediation. And When you look at mediation, I'm going to define this one as well. It's the offerings of sinful people brought before a holy God through an acceptable representative on their behalf. Through the acceptable representative. That's the part that we needed to dial in on. Because we are unable as sinful people to stand before a holy God in and of ourselves. We can't bring our own sacrifices. That's why you saw King Saul get rebuked for doing that. He wasn't called by God to provide his own sacrifices. God had designated that it would go through the priestly system. And it moves then from the priests to Jesus, the great high priest. But let's look first at the old covenant. In Hebrews 5 it says, For every priest chosen from among men, is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins just as he does for those of the people. You see, the priesthood was established by God as an acceptable mediator under the Old Covenant. It was acceptable for a time. And the high priest in particular would carry out the specific sacrifices and bring the gifts for sins. He was the one bringing those gifts to the altar. But look at what the text says about that. In verse 2, he himself is beset with weakness. Now, because he has that weakness, because he's able to you know, sympathize with those who are bringing the sacrifices, he can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward. But he's beset with weakness. And then it goes on in verse 3, because of this, because of his weakness, because of his own sinfulness, he's obligated to sacrifice for his own sins. He's got to offer sacrifices for his own sins as well. Now let's look then at the new covenant here because this is where things really get flipped on their head. We'll look at Hebrews 7, starting in verse 26. For it was indeed fitting... That we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. That sounds like similar verbiage to the previous passage, right? But listen to what is fitting. This is the high priest that is fitting for us. This is the high priest that we needed all along. Again, just as the old covenant, the blood of these animals was a placeholder, in the same way the priestly system were placeholders to point to Jesus. This is the kind of high priest we needed. Holy. Well, that right there disqualifies everyone else. Innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, Exalted above the heavens, no need to offer sacrifices for his own sins. That's the high priest that we needed in the past and the high priest that we need today. That was the high priest that the Old Testament saints needed as well. The nation of Israel, again, it's a placeholder. The previous priestly system was a placeholder to point to Jesus, the great high priest that we ultimately needed. He accomplished the sacrifice that we needed. The reality is that we need ongoing representation. And Jesus always lives, according to the scriptures, he always lives to intercede for us. There are other passages that talk about how the other priests, they served for a term and then they died. And then they had to have a new priest come in. We don't have that with Christ. He died and then he rose again victoriously. So now he can intercede for us always. He always lives to make intercession for us. He's interceding on our behalf. He is mediating between us sinful people and our holy, righteous God. His Father. What a great encouragement that is that Jesus lives to intercede for us constantly. What a blessing that that is. He is the filter that purifies even our impure worship of the Lord. Think about that. We're still broken, we still deal with the sin in our hearts. And we come before the Lord knowing that we've had all these sins throughout this last week, let's say, let's say we just focus on Sunday morning, all these sins, and he is the one who's mediating between a holy God saying, now he's covered. He is covered in my blood. And so our worship can be acceptable to a holy God, even though we are broken sinners, even though we still battle against our flesh, it's still acceptable. And finally, the last requirement that we see is the location God's presence moves from the temple to the people. And this is what we see in the Old Covenant versus the New Covenant. Corporate worship always takes place on God's terms and in His presence. It has to. He is the one who determines what is acceptable worship to Him and what is not. And so if we decide, I'm going to bring some of these things before the Lord, but I'm not going to go through the means that you've, you've deemed necessary. If you don't like it, then maybe you're not the God that I thought you were. Well, that's true. Maybe he's not the God that we thought he was because he is a righteous God. He's a God who has righteous requirements and he has very specific requirements for what is needed for us to give him the worship that he will accept, that he will be pleased with as a body. And since he determines what is acceptable, here's what was decided in the Old Covenant. In Exodus 25, Talks about how God manifested his presence in the Ark of the Covenant and placed it in the Holy of Holies, which was located in the temple. There were different times throughout Israel's history where you would see God manifesting his presence. Now we know that God the Father is is spirit, right? Like He doesn't he doesn't have the physical being as the Father um, that you would expect. But here's the reality: He manifested his presence in among the people in a very specific place. And the requirement was then for the sacrifices to be made in the place that God deemed acceptable. And so people had to travel to the temple in order to be able to make those sacrifices, in order to give the Lord the sacrifice that was needed. And again, they couldn't give it themselves. They had to go through the priests. And the priests could give that sacrifice on behalf of the people. And it says in Exodus twenty-five, twenty-two: there I will meet you, I'll meet with you. I will speak with you about all that I will give you in, in commandment for the people of Israel. The there that he's referencing is the specific place under the mercy seat in the Holy of Holies in the temple. That's the place where, where Moses could then go to have those interactions with God the Father on behalf of the people. So under the old covenant, God was in the temple. Where is he in the New covenant? Is't in, in the temple? He's in the temple. But here's where it gets interesting. Let's look at the new covenant because God actually manifests his presence in us. We look at 1 Corinthians six nineteen, And in this passage, I know he's talking about sexual immorality, but the reality is still that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you. The Holy Spirit has taken up residence. Do we understand that the song that we sang before, the same power lives in us. The same power that overcame the grave lives in us. God the Holy Spirit indwells us. So now we have become the temple. So before we had to go to God, and now God has condescended and come to us and made his dwelling among us, within us, because of the work of Jesus. That's an incredible gift. An incredible gift. We still need to go to the location that God requires. What is that location? Is it 601 West Bartlett Road? Just to clarify, that's the address of the church. She's <laughs> just like, yeah, let me just throw out a random address. No, that's the address here. No, Right? We don't have to gather specifically in this location because where we are gathered, the Lord is. In fact, he says in Matthew 18, he says that where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there among them. And again, I know that's the passage that talks about, you know, confronting sin in the lives of believers. But the reality still remains when two or three gather in the name of Jesus, he's there among us. So, when we gather on a Sunday morning together like this, when we have one another into our homes, these are opportunities for us to worship the Lord together. He's among us, in our midst. He's wanting to do a work in our hearts in that time. So, yeah, in the Old Testament, people had to go where God's presence was in order to worship Him. And this is why in John 4, we see the Samaritan woman asking Jesus, Where do we go to worship? What's the proper place? You know, is it Jerusalem? Is it on this mountain? And then Jesus gives a response and he says to her, John 4, 21, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. That's a huge shift. It's it's monumental because now, when we want to worship the Lord, it has to be rooted, it's, it's in spirit and truth, right? So it's got to be led by the Holy Spirit who indwells us if we've trusted in Christ. He's indwelling us, so of course, he's going to lead us in a worship that brings honor and glory to him. But it's also in truth. The truth is the revealed word of God. And so when we worship the Lord, this is why we have to give careful thought to what we're proclaiming in song. Because if we're singing words that are inconsistent with the word of God, then we're not giving accurate worship to our Lord, we're not giving him worship that's gonna be acceptable to him. We're not singing his praises if it's, if it's false things that we're proclaiming with our mouths. And so it's important that we worship being led by the Holy Spirit in our hearts and in, con, in conjunction with the truth that is revealed in God's word because that's the worship that our God is gonna accept. <clears throat> when we gather together in the name of Jesus, we do not have to ask him to be with us. He is there among us and within us. What a gift that is. So what? Let me jump back into that story. A friend that I referenced earlier, why was it that her worship of the Lord was, was not acceptable to him? Was it because her sin was just too great? No. Again, like I said before, her sin is no greater than my sin or your sin. The reason that her worship was not acceptable to the Lord was because it was not rooted in Jesus Christ. If we want worship to be acceptable... Before our holy God, it has to be on the terms that He has deemed necessary. And that is only through Jesus. Even the old covenant was designed to point straight to Him. So if we want to worship the Lord corporately in a way that that brings honor and glory to our Father, that He is pleased with, then we have to elevate Jesus. We have to gather with the purpose to make much of Jesus Christ. Because He gave everything to give us that opportunity so that we could worship the Lord. Worship our God, be reconciled to our holy God. That's the gift that we have received. All of the requirements of our worship are fulfilled in Jesus, so we should be overflowing with gratitude. At the end of the day, that's the whole point. We should be filled with gratitude for Jesus. When we gather together in this place, we bring nothing of value in and of ourselves. It's his goodness, his grace, his glory that we get to celebrate. That's the point. It's the point of all of it. And so this should fill us with thankfulness every time we get together. And one of the things that we do here at Village just about every week is we partake of communion. And I thought this would be a great opportunity for us this week when we look in light of what Jesus has done for us to consider partaking of communion together now. And one of the reasons why I thought it would be a fitting way to move from this sermon is because when we partake of these elements, a lot of times we we get this um, this mentality like, "Oh man, I'm not worthy to do this. I'm not worthy to partake of these elements." And if you're feeling unworthy because you have too much sin in your life, you've unconfessed things to deal with. I just want to say, join the club. We're all unworthy. We're all unworthy to take of this, but Jesus has made us worthy. So we can partake with confidence because of what Jesus has done. If you've trusted in Jesus, you can partake of these, elef- these elements with confidence. Not the elephants, the elements. <laughs> we can partake of these elements with confidence because of Jesus. Despite our sin, we are covered. We are seen as blameless before holy God because of his blood and his body that he gave for us. So this morning as we partake of communion, we're going to do it a little bit differently than we have been doing it um, lately. What we're going to do is um, we're going to have some scriptures on the screen. And I want to encourage you to look at these scriptures and just, just meditate on them. Give thanks to the Lord as you read about the greatness of Jesus as revealed in his word. We're going to have some light music underscoring it, but just, just taking a moment to reflect on what Christ has done and rejoicing over that reality and celebrating That when we partake of these elements, we are covered by the blood of Jesus. And so I want to say with you, if Village Church is not your home, but you have trusted in Jesus Christ, please join us. We we practice open communion here, which means these elements are just as much for you if you're a part of the body of Christ as they are for anyone else here. So please join us. Now, if you've not made that decision to follow after Christ, we just ask that you would let let the trays pass. And there's no... it's it's not because we want to make a big deal about it and we want to be watching. Who didn't take so we can go hunt them down and have a conversation with them? We would love to have a conversation with you if you'd be interested in that. But the reality is, when we take this, we're proclaiming that our confidence and our faith is in Jesus alone. And so we wouldn't want you to be lying about where your confidence is. But if you do have questions after talking about this, if you want to worship the Lord, but you don't understand, what does this mean to, to do that through Jesus? What does it mean to trust in Jesus? Please, come talk to me. Come talk to any of the, the, the members on the worship team. Come talk to the ushers. Find someone and talk to us. We would love to talk to you about that. So this time what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray and invite the ushers to come forward. And they're going to go ahead and, and pass the elements after I pray. And I just want to encourage you, we'll remain seated. They'll pass the elements down the row. And then we can just meditate on the Word of God as on the screens and give thanks to Him. One thing I do want to mention, if, you, if you're new here... Um, Our communion comes in two cups that are stacked. And it's, uh, so you have the bread in the bottom cup and the the juice in the top cup. So you'll want to separate those. Just, I just wanted to clarify that because sometimes there can be some confusion with that. So this time let me pray. And then we'll move forward. Heavenly Father, we are grateful. We are grateful that you have chosen to send your son Jesus, we are grateful that you were obedient in all things. We are thankful that you are a great high priest who is able to sympathize with us in our weaknesses because you've been tempted in every way, yet you, Jesus, were without sin. And because you are without sin, because you are innocent, because you are holy and blameless, the sacrifice that you made was the only acceptable sacrifice for our God to make a way For us broken, sinful people to be reconciled to a holy and perfect God. Jesus, thank you for making that way for us. Thank you for redeeming us and calling us to yourself. Pursuing us and chasing us down. When we were dead in our sins, you brought us to life. Thank you for that, Jesus. I pray that our hearts would be filled with gratitude for the life that you have given us. Apart from you, we can do nothing as we see in your word. But if we remain in you, we can bear much fruit. And that's our desire, that we would bear fruit to make much of you, to bring glory to your name, Jesus. We love you, Lord. Pray that you be glorified in us as your sons and your daughters. And Jesus, as your brothers and sisters bought by your blood. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen.